So what do we do? We take that data, we use AI, and we supplement that data with your clinical data from your health records and your, your immunizations and also from your lab data. We also do our own lab data and different biomarker collections to supplement. And then we turn that information into tasty molecules that heal you. That's ELO. And it's really ambitious. I mean, and I don't think it has been done before, but we, we really want to be able to give you food at the right time, the right food that can actually keep you healthy or heal you. And we want to do it in a way that you don't need to think about any type of diet. Diet is an artificial limitation because we need that in our brain. We can't comprehend food because it's so, so complicated. So we need to build like say keto or say vegan or whatever. And I have done a lot of those. But what if you don't need to think about diet? You eat good food you love, but you get the food at the right time in the right way. So you're not going to go over the boundaries and you're going to stay healthy. That's what we want to do at Ella. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Ari Tola. Ari is the co-founder and CEO of Elo. Ari and his team created Elo to turn food into medicine so you can live life to the fullest. To accomplish this, they've built cutting-edge AI from a proprietary analysis of 3,000 peer-reviewed studies to apply to your personal health biomarkers and deliver precision to nutrition. Then, they relentlessly optimize and improve your nutrition over time. They're starting with supplement packets, but their ambitions extend far beyond that. They won't stop until they succeeded at transforming food from the cause of disease to medicine. Ari's passion for helping others optimize and understand their own health started long before Elo. After months of him and his wife coming through specialist after specialist trying to find the right doctor to address a specific issue, Ari, in 2011, co-founded Better Doctor, a comprehensive doctor data engine that powers the healthcare market with accurate doctor data. Today, Better Doctor is part of Quest Analytics a company that builds networks of doctors and is accessed by 200 million Americans each year. When not working, Ari spends his time on the steep cliffs, powdery slopes, and big cold waves that only Northern California can offer. And, depending on the month, you may find him on some epic endurance adventure living off of the bare-bone necessities. And we'll get into that. In this interview, we get into Ari's time growing up in Finland and Finnish culture, what it was like working on the cutting edge of mobile gaming at Nokia, Better Doctor, and all things ELO and health optimization. And so, without further ado, my interview with Ari Tulla. Thanks for coming to the show, Ari. I really appreciate it. Cool. No, it's, it's exciting. I, I, I took a peek on, you know, people you've been talking before and a um, lot of interesting people, some of them I, I met before. Oh, awesome. That's great to hear. So let's start this off at the, at the beginning. Um, you're from Finland, right? Yeah, so uh, I'm, uh, I've been around uh, the world for the last 20 years, but uh, yeah, I was born in northern Finland, um, uh, up in a in, in small town called Oulu, and it's actually just about 100 miles uh, south of Arctic Circle. So think about like Anchorage, wow. Alaska. Uh, so <laughs> in the winter, you have no sun, and in the summer, you have uh, 24 hours of sunlight. Wow, I can, what is it? 
I guess, what is it like to have sun sunlight almost like all day? I just feel like that'd be so weird. <laughs> well, the whole, whole uh, it, it, it changes everything. I mean, if you think about from perspective of, uh, I mean, you can get the light, but you can't really comprehend the darkness if you have never been there yeah. longer than, you know, a few weeks. Because, you know, the bottom line is that all the, all the babies are born um, nine months of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, there are no babies born in summer <laughs> because, you know, it's just, you know, everybody is like a hyper when you get the sun and in the winter, it's pretty mellow and, and people tend to be more indoor and, you know, the weather can be like yesterday, I was uh, talking to my, my, my parents, uh, they had a uh, minus uh, 27 Fahrenheit. Uh, you don't want to hang out outside. Do wow. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely cold. <laughs> Did you, um. So did you do like most of your schooling in Finland growing up or like, did you venture much out of Finland? Yeah, I, I was, um, I was really lucky. Uh, I was born in the late, late seventies and I was really lucky to be in a, in a family that, uh, uh, my, my parents never decided to, you know, buy a new car every two years. They, they spent a lot of the money they had, uh, on travel. So I ended up traveling 50 countries before I was 18. Wow. And, um, and uh, I, was, uh, I, I studied in Finland my, my degrees, but also I spent uh, one semester in, in the U.S., I think uh, like 99, 2000, uh, when I was in university. So, but I, I got this kind of uh, mother's milk in a way that, you know, you want to go out and you want to explore. And uh, I think that was the best thing that, you know, parents can give to a, a child that, you know, you get this uh, never-ending curiosity and uh, you learn about the world and you meet other type of people. And, uh, and my, my father, he, he, he worked for some time in, in Japan, for example. So we visited uh, 80s in Tokyo. And it's a quite a different you know, world when today you go to any mall, you can have you know, sushi and, and Japanese food. But in 80s, that was completely unheard of. Like, you, know, you go there, you're like, what, what is this food? You have no idea. So yeah. um, I still remember fondly you know, those moments when you, you were able to kind of expose to a completely new thing and, and a new type of world that you know, none of your friends had ever heard about yeah it probably makes you more easily able to appreciate different cultures and different viewpoints people have as well yeah and i mean we often you know i mean people say that uh, uh traveling is is the is the thing that if you meet other type of people you just you just can't think that they're different you you meet people you, you understand that we are all the same so all this um uh, communication that's going on lately that, you know, we are, we are polarizing, we are against each other. I mean, it just goes away if you can meet other people who are, who look different and are different than you. Right. Interesting. Um, and maybe just for people listening, like where in Finland in, where is Finland in the world? Yeah. I mean, not, not, not everybody knows. Uh, Finland is, uh, is a country, uh, a bit smaller than California in uh, Northern Finland, Northern, Northern Europe, uh, between uh, Sweden and, and, and Russia. So we have a, a, a nice uh, probably thousand mile border between Finland and Russia. So that is of course, you know, think about the geopolitical climate and the world. I mean, right. the wars have been, you know, been, been had on that, that border and uh, we've been kind of uh, the border of the West in many ways for the last uh, hundred years. So it's been really interesting space uh, and location to be uh, in the in the politics of the world. Yeah, for sure. And how would you describe the the culture of Finland? And like, how would you compare it to the U.S.? 
I mean, it, it's interesting because I think um, uh, us us I mean, I think we are we are independent, free, and uh, equalitarian. We are we we really think that you know the equality is one of the founding principles of the country. Uh, we became independent about 103 years ago, and um, the, the, it was the second country in the world to give women uh, voting rights. And, wow. um, and we had the second, you know, female president in the world. And uh, today, more of the, uh, uh, there are more women in parliament than there are men. I think we're the only country in the world probably today. And if you look at, I don't know if you saw it, but the, the Finnish uh, prime minister was in the cover, cover of Time magazine uh, last week, I think. And she's a 30, I think she's 36 year old woman who's a prime minister. And the whole cabinet wow. today is, is woman. Like, I think there's like, like ninety percent women in the cabinet. That's a really interesting, you know, country if you think from yeah. that perspective. But then you think about the similarities between the U.S. and, and Finland. I mean, the, the, in, the independent culture, the nature, uh, the freedom. I mean, those are the, the, the driving principles. And you know, Finland is a very uh, big country for five million people, so there's a lot of space, and um, and and people really appreciate the fact that you can go out to nature. Uh, you can wander around and uh, and so forth. So th- it's very similar in many ways. Yeah, interesting. And um, kind of leading into my next question, I've also I've heard this a lot that people from who live in the, the Nordic and Scandinavian countries are some of the happiest in the world. Like, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, you have this uh, happiness index that they are measuring, and uh, and uh, I mean, you know, I I I, I left Finland. Uh, uh, while back and uh, I, I go back every year. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an American today as well. I have dual citizenship myself. Uh, I think the, the happiness is part about the fact that they have free healthcare, uh, free education. There is a safety net of some kind that is of course now uh, maybe eroding a bit when you know, all the countries are, are a bit in trouble because of the COVID and economy. Uh, there's a relatively small income difference between people and I think also uh, what really helps a lot is uh, clean air, uh, safe environment to, to live, and uh, beautiful nature that is all around you. I mean, those, I think, are the factors. You know, Finland has one, one bigger city, Helsinki, that is uh, the capital area is about a million and a half people. So it's very small. And uh, mm-hmm. basically somebody told me that every Finn has access to uh, forest within a mile from their home. And that's not the same. If you think about New York, a New Yorker goes to office, they see one tree on the way and they see another tree, the same one when they come back. <laughs> but in Nordic countries, you can have, you know, a, a real forest mile from your home. And, and there's something unique about that. that you can go to nature and you can surround yourself, not with people and buildings, but also the, uh, the wildlife. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of new research coming out too, about the benefits of just surrounding yourself in nature and immersing yourself in nature too. So at least like calming yourself and de-stressing and all of that. I mean, I read a lot about it. I mean, I don't know how, how real it is again, but you know, the whole kind of pheromones from the trees or whatever that they're going to calm you down, lower your cortisol level and lower your heart rate automatically. I mean, it, it sounds really wonderful. And I, I go to nature every day if I can. Um, I live next to Presidio here in San Francisco. So I have a, one of the only, probably the only place in the country where you have a national park uh, inside the city that you can walk in there and, you know, kind of experience it like five minutes away. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What's, how about the economy of Finland? 
Um, like what, what's that like? And is there a lot of like, like nowadays a lot more like tech and startups that are emerging in the country? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, and I've been, I've been kind of part of it uh, from multiple different viewpoints in the last 40 years. So um, Finland, of course, is a very rural country, you know, uh, after the second world war, uh, economy was really paper pulp uh, industry, uh, some manufacturing like uh, CPRs and stuff like that, very heavy industry. And over the last, you know, the 50, to 60 years, it completely remolded uh, the economy, uh, first by, by Nokia. And, and Nokia, I mean, we all heard about the company, you know, today it, it's not a big deal anymore in the cell phones, but, you know, the company invented basically uh, the device that we use the most today in every, every life and, and completely changed almost all the industries. And so Nokia was uh, a massive company for a small country, almost too big to fail. Uh, something like you know five percent of the whole GDP as a one one uh, huh. enterprise, and uh, when when Nokia Nokia's growth basically made Finland a high tech country, so it it molded the way how people are educated. I mean nobody was studying computer science before Nokia, and suddenly you had you know many tens of thousands of students every year graduating with the computer science degree. So it, it just built this uh, a new and I'm the first generation that people who kind of went to co went to school to be able to go to work for Nokia and the high-tech industry. And, and Nokia collapsed uh, in 2010. It basically resulted uh, this exodus where you know, a lot of people were, were laid off. And, but these were people who basically had built one of the best companies in the world. I mean, Nokia at the time was kind of like Apple or Google today. And um, those people basically had ability to go out there and, and start new companies and new businesses. So I think, you know, I don't know the number exactly, but I think the Nokia, ex-Nokians like myself, uh, have founded uh, uh, 500 or more companies and now employ more people than Nokia ever did. And, and this is now in, in gaming and AI and, and virtual reality and many other fields. And uh, so it really changed the whole uh, country and the economy to much more robust because, you know, having a one company too big to fail is of course very risky, but now you have many, many, many companies that are, are employing people. And, and the mindset overall, uh, Finland is not like, uh, like Portugal, uh, where, you know, everybody look at the ocean and they think about, we need to go out there and explore. That was the kind of ethos for the whole country. Finland is a little bit different, but you know, if you want to build a business, you have to go out of Finland because the, the domestic market is tiny and you can't really build anything relevant there. So everybody who's building something, they always build it for the global market from the get-go. And now these new people who experience the, the rise of Nokia, they have, I think, the global mindset and the courage uh, to try. Huh, that, that, that's very interesting. And it's kind of like in the US, um, you'll see a lot, tons of really talented people from who leave Google and Apple and Facebook and go and start their own companies. So yeah, definitely parallels. Yep. Interesting. I believe, or isn't Aura Ring? Weren't they founded in Finland? Yeah, I mean, Aura is uh, is one of the one of the companies that you know I have actually been following very up close and personal. So I'm I'm one of the first investors in the company, and oh, um, I've been wearing a ring for eight years myself. And uh, and uh, actually, the the team uh, is from my hometown, and uh, the company oh, wow. was founded in my hometown. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and, uh, and I I know some of the some of the team members, you know. Uh, years before or uh, already at Nokia and some of them came from Polar Electro which is the, the heart rate uh, belt monitor company uh, mm -hmm. that invented actually the heart rate monitoring as, as a thing that was founded in my hometown as well and uh, the, the founder of the company uh, used to be my ski coach when I was a kid 
So, I mean, I go a long way with, the, yeah. with that story. That, that, that's funny. Um, I really admire what they're doing. That's very cool. And I mean, it's a wonderful company because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tracking uh, in a finger, I mean, it's just so powerful. And, you know, I, I don't know how many rings I've sold to my friends and people, but I mean, I make, make me so happy that I'm on a call every day with Zoom and you see people's hands and, you know, I see half the people wearing our ring now. Of course, <laughs> it's a very skewed setting of people in wellness and space we are in, but, but I, it makes me feel amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And so maybe shifting gears here a little, as you grew older and got to college, um, like what were you interested in and what did you think you wanted to do for a career? Yeah, so I, I was one of these um, unique uh, kids that you know, I, had the, I had the ability to travel with because of my parents. I mean, I'm, I'm ever grateful for that. And another area that I got into early on that I'm maybe even more grateful is that my, my, my dad bought a computer when I was six years old. This is the old box PC. And this is really early, like, you know, early 80s. And, um, and of course, you couldn't do much with them. You know, you, could, you have like a rudimentary Excel. Uh, but of course, I played games and uh, I started to create apps and games and whatever. So I spent all my youth basically uh, in two things. I, I played hockey, did a lot of sports, and then I was uh, playing with the computers, creating stuff with them. I was never really a good coder, but I was, uh, I was very good at playing video games. So mm-hmm. in high school, I, I was basically playing video games as a professor, more or less. So I made money by selling virtual goods in, in the early 90s already. Uh, one of the first people in the world probably who has sold virtual like swords and stuff to with real money to people and uh, making money on that little bit money. But you know, my, my mom was thinking that I'm selling drugs or something, but no, no, I was selling <laughs> the virtual goods. <laughs> Nobody really got that that time. It's, it was so early. Yeah. And, but that led, led to me into this world of, you know, uh, a tech. And so I, when I went to study, I, I wanted to study uh, computer science and, um, and ended up doing like a dual degree of computer science and, uh, and business. And, and Finland, as I said already, education is free. So it was really great that you can study, you know, in four years, you can almost do two masters. And, and that's something, you know, in here, you would end up paying, I don't know, uh, half a million to a million dollars. Yeah. Oh, so even university education in Finland is free. Completely free. And uh, even better, you know, you actually get an allowance. Um, I don't know what it is today, but, you know, roughly something like, you know, 400 bucks uh, a month allowance if you are studying full time. It's very interesting. It's very different, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's very different. Huh, okay. Um, So, yeah, with with studying computer science, what ended up being your first job after you graduated? Yeah, so I think, you know, the the question you asked about, you know, like what what was my kind of dream? And and, uh, something happened to me uh, not long ago. Uh, I was uh, talking to my mom and, and, and she found a letter I wrote in high school, first year in high school, like many years ago. And I never opened the letter. It was basically to be a letter for you when you graduate and then you read it and you think what you did. And uh, I had completely forgotten the whole thing. And so I, I, my mom read the letter to me and I basically had listed things I want to do. I want to travel the world. I want to work in a, in a, in a global companies. I want to build things and, and find my love, of course, in, in my life and order. But, you know, I could check all the boxes. And it's kind of cool to be 40 years old or people are 40. And you can check all the things you wanted to do in high school. So I have, I have accomplished all the things and, uh, and I, what I really want to do after I graduated, I, I wanted to kind of go into, into global, I wanted to get out of Finland because I felt that, you know, it's, it's a bit small. And, um, and that was my driving force. Like, you know, what is a company I can work with that um, I can do something, you know, beyond um, just the borders of Finland. Okay. Interesting. And is that what led you to visual web? 
Well, so this was a, was a bit uh, uh, unique uh, story because you know I had been playing with the computers for a long time, and um, I started the uh, first day in, in university. Uh, my roommate uh, was about to found this company, so he was the founder. I didn't okay. know what no, the founder is at the time. Like there was no startup ecosystem, there was no funding mechanism for startups. So anyway, he he started <laughs> the company, so I, I ended up being the kind of the first employee, and I was on off helping the 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 crew. Uh, to build the company, I think over the three, four year period, I was helping them on off while doing my studies. And at times I was like, you know, more full time with them as well. But um, that was a really great, you know, way to follow uh, somebody building a new company out of nothing. And it was a pretty cool company at the time because we, we talked about 99, I think when they started. And they were building websites and they were building intranets and stuff like that. And a website 99 was pretty early stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, so they did websites for a lot of big companies, and I was I was like a young kid, I don't know, like nineteen, twenty, and working with these these big deals at times, and it was pretty pretty eye opening. And um, and I I really love what the guys did. I mean, they spent twenty years with the company, it grew to hundreds of people, and it became a really good good business overall. Oh wow! So you said twenty years? Yeah, they 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 spent twenty years with it, and I think now they have kind of moved on to do something else finally. Yeah. But uh, it was it was like they never raised any money. It was all funded with the with the business and um, and so forth. So very different in, in Silicon Valley how you build companies today. But yeah. how lucky you are that you know your your roommate happens to be <laughs> the only founder in that whole whole city at the time, and and you get to know them and they become your best friends basically. Yeah. And do you think that experience might have sown the seeds for your like passion or spark to want to be an entrepreneur at some point? hundred percent. I mean, it, it basically, um, I mean, they are, they, they were, you know, guys like me, no different. And they were able to do this and pull it together. And uh, I, I, I understood it's not just a magic in it. You know, it's just up to, you know, doing hard work and being, you know, brave and persistent. And, uh, you know, after that, I, I don't think I worked in any business or I have, I've only, always been building new things. So I've been an entrepreneur ever since I, I graduated. Yeah. Interesting. And so after Visual Lab, you make an interesting pivot to British American tobacco. <laughs> so what led yeah. you to that opportunity? Yeah, that, that, I, I mean, I, I hear a lot about, you know, that and, you know, somebody told me that take it away from your LinkedIn, but I was like, <laughs> I mean, that, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, you know, the, the, the learning and the time I, I had there I, for almost four years. And, and I basically uh, ended up getting into this sort of a global uh, trainee program. So every year they hired, uh, so it, it's a big company, uh, British based company. Also they have a subsidiary in US and every country in the world. They are headquartered in Lausanne in, in Switzerland. At the time they were a hundred thousand people company. And every year they hire something like 50 people for the global trainee program. And these are the future leaders for the company. And, uh, you know, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people apply every position. And I got into that. And, and it's, it was interesting because the first two years is spent basically working in, in different countries, in different roles. So you rotate in like five different roles in five different countries. And you get exposure to the, to the leadership team, the management. So it was like a great experience to, to learn a lot about marketing, a lot about fast moving consumer goods. And, um, and also, you know, be able to, to work with, uh, with Formula One team, for example. So I, I, after trainee program, I ended up in, in a, in a role that I was running Lucky Strike brand in Northern Europe. And um, it was, Lucky Strike, of course, is not that you know, interesting anymore, but it was one of the 
biggest brands in the world. You know, if you think about Second World War, Lucky Strike were considered as money in the in the trenches in in, in Normandy, for example, because you know that was the the raisin you got from the from the army as a, as an American, and um, that whole logo and and everything that you know uh, what we did, we basically. Um, we have a, had a Formula One team we founded at the time, and we actually won the Formula One championship with the, with the drivers and stuff like that. And basically, the brand team owned the Formula One team. So it's pretty interesting that you, know, you were hanging out in Monaco with the, with the Formula One crew uh, for many years. So that was a very unique time for a young kid like myself. And, yeah. um, and, but what I did really at, that I'm, I'm quite proud about, we, we built a new category of product completely called the Lucky Strikes News. And it's basically uh, the non-combustible tobacco you put under your lip. Not the chewing tobacco, the baseball folks use, but you know, more like a clean pouch you put under your lip. And you can now today buy it in every gas station in the US, for example. And, and it was only product in Sweden and Norway before. And they, we took a stance and brought it into other countries. And what happens in Sweden, for example, where men are using the product, not smoking, they have far lower cancer rate than any other country in the world for men because lung cancer is so prevalent for smokers. So I don't know if we did any good, but you know, at least in your brain, you try to do it in a way that it wasn't all bad on you know, killing people. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and what was your role there? Were you in marketing? Yes, I was, uh, I was a brand marketer, uh, brand marketer. Uh, running the, the Lucky Strike brand uh, in, uh, in Nordic countries, Estonia, the Baltic countries, and then, then some other countries as well. Uh, so pretty big role. And I, I had an office in London, I had an office in, in Switzerland, Lausanne, and also in Stockholm and, and Finland. So I traveled around uh, hundred days a year and had a, had a fairly big team in, in different countries. And I think, you know, your, but your question about like how, how funny it was. So at the time, uh, my, my wife um, was uh, running the, the Green Party of Finland. Think about like the, the, the behind the scene operator for the environmental party. Okay. And, and she was running like the presidential election stuff like that. And, you know, we go to the political fundraisers and I'm the tobacco executive. And, you know, my <laughs> wife is like the, the green party person. So that was really funny. Like in a cocktail party, it was like, what the hell are these people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a little, that's an added twist. And I was, you know, <laughs> and also adding on to that, considering what you do now too, with, with Elo Health is working at a tobacco company many years ago. But, you know, the same application here, like when we think about LO, I mean, we're trying to build a brand that is going to be exciting for people. So, I mean, uh, the same, same fundamental learning and, and facts apply building a business in, in healthcare or building a business in, in FMC. So. Right. And were there any like big takeaways or lessons learned from your time working at British American? Uh, I, I think there were, there were some that, you know, were really interesting. I think, um, I think for myself, I, I learned that, you know, I come from a small town, Finland. I studied in a, in a relatively small university. And, uh, and immediately when I got in there, uh, I was, there were two people from, from Finland, uh, Nordics, who got into the program of 50 people around the world. And you know, these are people who went to MIT, they went to Stanford, they went to Oxford, they went to, you know, Sorbonne. So these are the kind of the elite institutes in the world. And I was probably the only one who didn't go to one of the Ivy, Ivy League schools of the world. And uh, people were looking at me a bit different at times. And, uh, and in the end, I performed equally well or better than any of them. So it made me feel confident on the fact that you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. It only matters who you are at that moment and what you do any given day. Right. That's awesome. I love that.
And so you leave British American and then head to Nokia. Was it during that time or during your time at Nokia that you end up moving to the US? Yeah, so I mean, that was one of the best move I could have ever made. Uh, uh, I was headhunted to Nokia to, to first run uh, marketing for uh, the new gaming division. So we're the first part of gaming division where we built uh, mobile games. I mean, somebody might say we, we started the mobile gaming as we know it today. Um, I might say that we, we helped, you know, incubate the business. But yeah, so I, I got in there, uh, spent about two years in the head office uh, to get to know people. And, and then I had a chance of uh, having great leaders that, who, are, who are dear friends of mine and investors in my, my later companies who basically uh, believed in me and gave me a chance to build a new business inside Nokia. And they gave me a blank check and they gave me a blank right to go wherever I want. So I, I was thinking Vancouver, London, New York, Berlin and San Francisco. And I picked the San Francisco because I love the nature here. And I just came in here to build a new business uh, for, for Nokia, a new unit. So that was a, that was a really great um, uh, experience. And uh, it was so easy to come to US because you are kind of executive in a, in a big company. So you get the green card like this and you get the visas and everything is moved for you. You have the you know, apartments ready, furnished when you come in. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty blissful. And, uh, but, you know, my wife had never been in the West Coast before. I had been in the, I had a team already here. So I had been here plenty of times, but my wife moved without ever being here. And, and she has become more of a California girl than, than I have uh, uh, ever. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, so you, so you really had a very much an entrepreneurial type role, even in a large corporation like Nokia. Well, so even at the BAT, at the British American Tobacco, I was basically building this new product line completely out of ground. We had a startup team of 100 people that, who did the whole thing globally. And um, I was the, the brand uh, marketing lead on that. And at the Nokia, you know, I was basically, I was pitching to the management uh, to fund my new idea. And they gave me money and, and they funded it. And I'm telling often to investors that that was the hardest time to raise money that I've ever had in my life <laughs> because it's harder to get the money inside the company because right. these companies like, like, you know, Google or, or, you know, Apple, they're not going to do anything if the opportunity is not big enough. Like for them building a 50 minute old business, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's too small. Same at Nokia. So you had to kind of build big and, and if your idea wasn't kind of big enough or scaling quickly enough, you know, it wasn't meaningful for them. Right. Right. Interesting. And so what was the transition like for you to uh, like, like for you and your wife to the U S like, was there anything that surprised you initially about the U S when you moved here? Was it a relatively smooth transition? I, it was super easy. I mean, yeah. I mean, I had, I talked to a lot of people about it later and I've been, I've been helping many other people to move here. Uh, I think my company is, we have hired hundred people outside the U S uh, over the last 10 years. And uh, I always talk to everybody about my experience. And I mean, I had, I had no cop sock, um, I had nothing like it was like a no difference, but you know, I had been living around the world kind of 10 years before already, but right. uh, it, 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 it's so easy. I mean, if you go to a big city from a big city to a big city, it, it doesn't really change a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. You kind of have, you have all that you need really close by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what was it like to be at the cut on the cutting edge of mobile gaming, right? When the smartphone was starting to take off. Yeah, that, that's why I said, you know, maybe the best decision of my life ever, because, you know, I, I got into a place where you can learn in a way that, you know, very few people ever get to get to learn. So, you know, I, I, I moved into uh, the valley uh, right when the iPhone came out. 
and you are working in the biggest company who invented smartphone and uh, invented app store invented you know apps and all these things and then suddenly you know iphone comes up android comes up and and they just take over and you are there in the epicenter looking from the the player who has most to lose and from the business perspective that's like a like a triple mba in a few years mm-hmm. and um, you know it was it was kind of humbling for me because i was able to see it I, I was living i was using iphone i was using android i was telling to the management that you know hey guys like you know we had trouble our stuff is not at par and we're going to lose the game and you know i was in the team building content for the nokia devices uh, and we couldn't do it it was too difficult because you know that the screen size were all different and then you have iphone and android they have one size of a screen and you just build the one app and it works on every device. That was the biggest you know, problem we had and, and we could never overcome it fast enough. But uh, it, it was just awesome, uh, of course, tough at times because you know, we lost, Nokia was valued 350 billion when I moved to the US. And when I left Nokia some years later, uh, Nokia was valued around 30 billion. So we lost wow. 90% of the value. That's the biggest loss of any company probably in the history of stock market almost and you know you see that up close and personal it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a great learning yeah and what were what were some of the major factors for that was it the emergence of android and the iphone and all of that was big big contributor to that well yeah iphone of course they paved the way they they sold the world what you can do and android and all the android uh, device manufacturers like samsung and others uh, who embraced Android, they were able to build stuff faster and copy what iPhone was doing. Uh, so, it, I mean, Nokia just didn't have the tech platform. We had 35, 40,000 engineers building stuff. And then you have a team at Android that was 75 people, the Android was team, 70 people, and they built a better platform faster than the 15, 20,000 people at Nokia because mm-hmm. it was so much bloating, complications, stuff like that. And that's happened, you know, at uh, Microsoft many times over. You know, you might remember like Windows Vista and XP, they get into such a dead end in a way that they had to rebuild the whole thing from the kernel level up. And that took them many, many years. And I know some people who were building it and that almost killed Microsoft, but they, they were mm-hmm. able to kind of weather the storm and build the right platform. I mean, Apple has today problems like that. I mean, I don't know if you know tech detail, but you know, if you think about like an App Store uh, or iTunes, I mean, those are very old tech that is kind of bubblegum still today, I think. And, and they need to rebuild them at some point, but it's tough to do when you have a billion users using your system every day. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess here's an interesting question. So there's a lot of talk nowadays about like the distraction and attention deficit that like the smartphone is causing to like all these people in the population. As someone who's worked at a massive phone company like Nokia, um, like what's your perspective on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I always tell the people that, you know, and I've been very lucky to be in few moments that uh, history was made. Decisions were, were made that, you know, impacted billions of people later. And at the time when you do them or you're part of it, you have no idea that you are making them. You, you never know. It feels like a normal day, but then you look 10 years later, you're like, oh my God, like we decided something <laughs> could have impacted everybody. Um, so we saw... And I was in the team that was able to see the early user data. So I was in the team that launched the first smartphone at Nokia uh, that they called N95. Um, and we saw the user data and it, it completely blew away 
people's expectations. Um, we basically saw that people were becoming addicted to the email, to the photos, to the games, even the early apps that were very rudimentary. And we knew that there's something like the user pattern went from like, you know, you had a phone, like think about like years ago, you had a phone, you, you make phone calls, maybe you have a text, but you spend 90% of the time on the phone. And suddenly this new device came in and you spend 10% of the time on the phone and 90% on other stuff. And people had no idea it could happen like that. And the emailing, like people moved over overnight to email on the phone. So we, we saw the issue that it could create and we got addicted early on ourselves. You know, we were busy professionals so we were watching the phone like 50 times a day and our right. wives were like, what the hell? And our friends were like, what the hell? Because nobody else had these phones yet and we were using them all the time. Uh, and I think from my perspective, because I was really involved in the gaming side and, um, and I was really uh, kind of fortunate to be able to work with some people who have done games for uh, everybody in the, in, in the world today. So we worked with a company called Rovio uh, to make some of the first games. And this was years before Angry Birds came out. But you know, this was a team of 10 people and they're they great guys, good friends of mine. And they were building, you know, uh, these games. And then they came up with, uh, with the Angry Birds. I was one of the first people to see the game. I was like, ah, it's okay. We didn't <laughs> want to buy it. Uh, and then they go out and, you know, 2 billion people got addicted to the game. Two billion people. Yeah. And later on, another guy that we worked closely with, uh, Tommy Palm, and, and his small team, they were acquired by, by King, and they went on to create the Candy Crush saga. Three billion people got addicted to that game. And then we worked with you know, companies, uh, the team to, who later built uh, Supercell. So they built uh, Class of Clans and Clan Royale. Uh, you know, those were the kind of the people we had together building these early games. And, um, you know, the industry was maybe 100 million at the time. It was very difficult to distribute the games. You know, there's no over-the-air download, whatever. But today, mobile gaming is bigger than books, music, and video combined. Like, think about it. That's just, wow. you know, 15 years later. It's yeah. pretty bizarre how quickly the world has evolved. So I, I'm, I'm not going to give my kids uh, a smartphone before they are teens. Um, before what? I, I before then? They're be, teens? Before they get... Yeah, I think that's what we're going to decide to do with, with my wife. Our kids are six and two today. But I think it is, it is something that, you know, we don't still know the impact. Uh, but uh, I feel bad about the fact I'm addicted to myself. And I really, I'm applauding the Apple on giving you the statistics every week on the usage because they understand that, you know, it is not healthy to spend, you know, 20 hours on the phone a week. Yeah, and it is kind of scary when you see, like the three and four year olds um, seemingly on, on iPads all day. just kind of not knowing what that impact will be later on. We have zero screens at home. So uh, we have uh, maybe an hour of TV a week. Uh, it could be a, you know, Warriors game. If they have a good game, I can watch my son, but my daughter has the zero screen time a week with her. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so why do you end up leaving Nokia? I, um, I, I was, I learned, you know, what I wanted to learn. And I think I was really disappointed on the fact that uh, the Nokia had no option to build their own platform. Because in the end, uh, if you are a smartphone player, the number one thing you want to build is the platform, the tech that is running the system. If you don't have your own, you're only going to be a, a device manufacturer. It can be a good business, but it's not the same. And, and Nokia basically decided to go with the Windows phone. Uh, I was part of the you know, people evaluating the Windows phone. I didn't believe in it. 
so I left um, when the decision was made. And I was, okay. I was hoping to, to use the Nokia old platform that actually my co-founder uh, was building. And uh, then I was also advocating for Android. But uh, for many reasons, we couldn't go with Android. So um, they made a decision uh, that was wrong. But in the end, you, know, you, ne you never know. But you know, we, we left to incubate a new business. And uh, we spent a lot of time at, um, at, uh, at Nokia to kind of work with a small team of, uh, of friends that you know, were kind of all looking to go out. And we were incubating new business. And in the end, we all left and we all started new companies. Right. And, and yours happened to be Better Doctor, correct? Yeah, so I had a, um, I, I, I had two ideas that I was thinking about. Other one was uh, a food company, not much different than Elo. <laughs> of course, you know, ten years, you know, makes uh, the tech more robust. But uh, I had, I have a deck that I've been selling to friends that uh, was kind of the Elo. We call this social food. Um, but uh, I ended up building the Better Doctor because it felt more uh, relevant for me, and uh, my my talent at the time was more applicable for for that because Better Doctor was basically the first idea was to be a, a, a doctor finder, a doctor marketplace, a healthcare marketplace. Um, think about like uh, ZocDoc uh, today. And, mm -hmm. and ZocDoc was the only company who was equivalent, who actually made it uh, all the way through. But I mean, it, it didn't become as big as you know, people hoped. Um, but my, my driver for going to healthcare was, was really personal. So, so my, my wife had a had a thyroid tumor uh, 21 years ago, and uh, the other thyroid uh, couldn't really take uh, take on properly all the hormonal um, systems, and she was medicated, and uh, that medication resulted that you know we could never get get pregnant, for example. So we spent about a decade in Finland and in the U.S. to hack hack that and, and try to find a way to use nutrition as a tool to heal her. And of course, I was I was changing my diet dramatically along the way. And uh, over the years, we, we, we have talked to a lot of doctors and we found people who were able to help us. And uh, we've been on no meat, no wheat, no gluten, no sugar diet for 15 years today. And um, suddenly, of course, the world has come to our way. That is the <laughs> diet today that you know, Mark Hyman or William Lee or whoever will recommend. And we have done it in, in ourselves for many years. So uh, I, I fundamentally believe that you know food is really really potent as a medicine but uh, the, the real driver was that you know in the u.s we 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 met 50 different doctors probably to find the right care and it was really difficult because in in finland you uh or in europe overall you get to healthcare, you you get what you're given you don't have optionality you don't have a book of doctors to look for you go to somebody and they treat you and you don't complain about it but suddenly we come to US and I have this sort of gold-plated plan from Nokia that I can go to any doctor in the country for free. And, and I opened the book and there are half a million doctors. I'm like, what the hell do I do? And, and we, had to, we actually went to like Harvard. We went you know, from West Coast to Boston to find the right care. And um, it was a huge amount of work. And, and in the end, we, we succeeded. Um, there was a lot of drama. In, uh, our first son ended up dying and, and so forth. So it was really like a traumatic you know, many years of health struggle for us. And, and that led me to, to build a better tool to, to navigate the care, access healthcare. And uh, the idea was to build a company that, you know, we want to help a million people find a doctor they love. That was the beginning of Better Doctor. And um, it, was, uh, it was a really great uh, decade run. And, um, and I'm, I'm super proud about the work we did as a, as a company. Yeah, interesting.
What was the experience like for you to build a, a company from scratch? Uh, I mean, you, I kind of say I, I had done it before, but, but not really. I mean, it was very different when it's all on your shoulders or, you know, not only me, but my, my co-founder, of course. Um, it was awesome. I mean, I, I loved every moment. Uh, and it was really maybe not the easiest uh, of, uh, of battles we had because, you know, we picked an industry we knew nothing about. We built a team that knew nothing about healthcare. We had 30 people in the company who had never worked in healthcare a day. And we came in as renegades. We, were, we came in with this stupid idea of let's disrupt and burn the bridges and, and burn the house down. Stupid. I mean, like, how stupid can it be? Uh, it, it didn't work at all. <laughs> so, so it was a, it, there's a lot of, you know, kind of post-traumatic stress on, on the whole thing. But in the end, you know, it, it feels good that we, we got it. We, we were able to build a real company out of it in the end. And it became a real business and it became a real impact. But uh, I, I love the, the idea of building new. Every day you are waking up and you don't know where you end. And you don't know if you're right or wrong, but you're going to move forward. And we did a ton of mistakes. And, uh, and, but, you know, you, you learn so much. And uh, I talk to a lot of my friends and I'm advising a lot of companies, uh, investing a lot of companies nowadays. And uh, I'm able to talk to people. And only thing you learn, you understand how much you have learned is when you reflect with other people. And I'm a completely different man uh, because of the, of the 10 years with Better Doctor. Yeah. I'm guessing the fundraising pr process um, was, was made especially tough since you also didn't have that health, prior healthcare ex experience. Well, we had a ton of people who came to me and said that, you know, you have a most amazing team to make mobile games. I'm happy to give you a ton of money if you make games. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, we're going to build healthcare. <laughs> So, but you know, we, we actually had, we were quite lucky. We, we had really good investors fairly early on. And we had some people who believed us in the early stage that, you know, uh, made, made us, you know, again, believe in ourselves. And, and uh, you know, we, we raised uh, a round from NEA and uh, we ended up raising almost 40 million bucks altogether. So no, it was not, not that difficult, but you know, there were difficult moments, but right. we were kind of lucky, I think. And we were doing a, you know, in a good timing because, you know, it was just, you know, at the time when a lot of, you know, good companies were founded after the, the calamity of the economy. Right. Right. And um, is the, is it, does it still exist today, Better Doctor? Uh, yeah. So about, about two and a half years ago, we, we sold uh, Better Doctor to the private equity fund called Vestar Capital. And um, the re really the reason why we, why we sold the company was that um, we had uh, pivoted away from this idea of a doctor marketplace. We just couldn't make the business work. Uh, we became a, a data API for the whole healthcare industry. We had about three and a half thousand companies using the better doctor data APIs to power the information about doctors. Think about like quality of doctors, what they have done, uh, address, phone number, whatever. And, and the core business became in the end of us updating the data for health insurance companies and making sure that their information is accurate, up to date. Like, you know, you go to any listing of doctors and you make a phone call or whatever, you want to find the right phone number, right address. That was kind of the better doctor backbone. And, and we sold it to company to this uh, uh, private equity firm who already had bought a company called Quest Analytics. And that was a company that basically was building a tool for the health insurance companies and hospital systems to build a network of doctors. 
So what they do, they, they are contracting doctors from different places to build the coverage. Like, you know, healthcare has about half a million doctors or even more. So they built these networks and designed them properly. So people have the right access to care at the right point. So uh, they already had that company and they already had every health plan as a customer. At Better Doctor, we were in the beginning of a new business. We had about 20 customers. So we thought about, you know, marrying together the 20 customers and a new product and 400 customers and an old product and credibility, we can, we can grow faster. And in the, in the mix of that, I mean, it was pretty unique um, uh, deal because we, we sold a company and I, I took a lead of the whole company as a CEO. And once I got in, we also bought uh, a small corner of United Healthcare. So it became like a mid-sized business with three companies under it. And uh, me and my co-founder and the Quest management team, uh, we came together and we hired a new management team and basically built a new company out of it. We named it Quest Analytics, but that was the biggest brand we had and the most known entity. And uh, I spent about you know, almost two years uh, building this sort of new business, new product lines, new management team, new culture. And um, it, it was really good experience for me. I mean, you, you learn a lot when you run a bigger company that is profitable and you know, we are, we are pre IPO, but you know, we're pretty big already. Right. Oh, interesting. So you already had all this data about all these various different healthcare providers from wanting to build a marketplace, but um, you shifted that into, um, like you said, an API and all this data for, for these healthcare insurance companies. Yeah, I tell people often that, you know, healthcare is, is a big market and you can't be a renegade. You can't go there and, you know, bang your chest and say that, you know, I'm going to disrupt you. I'm going to destroy you. They're going to be just, you know, they're going to sue you in and they're going to poop you out and you're going to be dirty and, you know, out of money. So what do you have to do? You have to look at the healthcare system as a big puzzle. It's not the thousand piece puzzle. It's like a 10,000 piece puzzle. And you need to find an empty hole and you need to carve your company to be the puzzle piece and you need to slot it in carefully there so people don't notice. And then be, you need to hug everybody, you need to embrace them, you need to be friendly. So I changed my mindset to that about five years ago, six years ago at the Better Attorney and it, it really worked finally. Um, but uh, that, that's what healthcare is. You, know, you have to be uh, a team player. It's too complicated for any, any single company to try to disrupt And That's what I mean, Google, I mean, Amazon lately, uh, they were shutting down the collaboration with, uh, with Sales and others. Uh, and it's not easy right. to be even Google and go to healthcare or even Apple and go to healthcare. Healthcare is, you know, it's $3 trillion. It's, you know, 10 million people working in it. It is complicated and people die every day. You can't avoid it. Right. Interesting. And um, what were some of the biggest leadership lessons that you learned um, during your time at, at Better Doctor? Um, and, and, and I guess as well as at Quest Analytics? I think for me um, at the Better Doctor, you know, it was about uh, building, uh, building the team and uh, hiring the right people, uh, knowing what to do and understanding what, uh, what the CEO or leader has to do. And kind of understanding, it's not about doing everything. It's about doing few things really well. Uh, it's about keeping money in the bank. It's about getting the right people on the bus or in the team. And it's about telling people where we're going. That's all you have to do. And often in that order. And you're going to be fine. And if you go too much in the waves, every time you go too deep, you are losing the sight on the important things. And, and then when you ended up, you know, running a company of uh, 300 people or whatever we had at Quest in the beginning, it was very different. Like you have to really think about like, what is the best time 
what is the best use of your time any given day? So I have had my screensaver for last, I think, four years now. It asked me every day, what is the most important thing? That's what I see every day when I walk by my office. And I, I think about that every morning when I sit down, like what is the most important thing today I can help? And it's often about, can I unblock somebody else? And you know, already in a team of you know, a few hundred people, you unblock somebody, you can unblock 40 people. And if you don't think about that, you're gonna be always the, the blocker on things. And, uh, and you really have to become the servant. And I, I really became and, and learned about the, uh, the servant leadership, that you know, I'm serving my management team, I'm serving my team and trying to make them work at the best of their ability. That's the only thing I need to do. Other than that, you know, right. I can be smart, I can think about strategy, but I, I'm never gonna be the best at anything in the company of any size. Uh, so I have to be humbled down and I need to be the least important person in any given team. Interesting. And so by the end of your time at um, Better Doctor slash Quest Analytics, did you accomplish what you had initially set out to accomplish? Kind of. Uh, I mean, of course, you have to be creative when you lie to yourself. <laughs> but um, I, I said in the beginning, and I, I, I gave a talk um, and, and sent a note to everybody when I left that, you know, it was a decade of my life. I mean, it's 20% of my life. Uh, it's a long time. And it's a very impactful time for a person and you need to embrace it. But in the beginning, we said that we want to help a million people to find a doctor they love. Uh, 2020, we made a napkin map that we, we had helped 200 million people in the US to find a doctor. Not directly, you don't know it's us, but we were behind the scenes designing your network or defining the data that you use. So that's really what, uh, what I'm most proud about. I mean, that is an immense impact in the, in the nation. And, and we actually make the world a better place every day by doing it behind the scenes. And I don't need to be, I, you don't need to know who I am or who, what the team is. The team is proud about what they do every day. And that's what I really love the company about. I mean, they, they didn't need to be in the limelight. They were doing the good work behind the scenes. Right, right. That's awesome. And, uh, and so getting to what you do now today with Elo, um, Elo Health, when do you start working on Elo? Well, um, like was immediately after you left Quest? I think I started to work uh, 21 years ago when my wife was uh, diagnosed. <laughs> I right. never stopped. Right. So I've been, this, this is an idea that has been part of my life and um, it is basically who I am. If you ask my friends, you know, you know, I've been preaching about this for forever. And if you look at me um, as a person, like, you know, I go to weddings, so I go to funerals, unfortunately more funerals lately, the weddings. I'm usually the guy who looks 10 years younger than other people. I'm still, in a, I'm better shape than I was when I play hockey, you know, uh, train twice a day. And, um, and other people are not. So that's kind of what I'm preaching myself and they're like starting to listen to me now when we are 40 and people are getting to 50 and they are getting this, they're getting to be type 2 diabetic. They're, 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 they are on medications, they are chronically sick. And I'm healthier than I was in 20s. So they start to listen. But that was really the driver for me that I wanted to kind of take this world view I have and start bottling it up into a product that we can give to people. If we can replicate even a little bit what we did Quest, well, now we are saying again, I want to help a million people uh, get healthy, stay healthy, and live a long, productive life. That's what we do at ELO, and we hope to do. And if we get there, 
I mean, that will be my legacy and I'm, I'm more than happy about it. Yeah. And, and what is that, that worldview um, that you've now sort of brought to life with LO Health? It's, it's pretty simple. I mean, so what I learned at, um, at three different places. So I, I learned uh, with my wife and with our own health struggles. I learned a lot and we found solution. But there's a one size solution for us. Uh, then I, I learned a lot at the Federico and Quest. We were talking and I was talking to a lot of leaders. Think about like uh, CEOs of the health insurance companies or CEOs of hospitals, the people who are at the CMS Medicare deciding our healthcare. I talked to all of them about this topic. And they all said that, you know, food is the only intervention that we can change the cost curve. Because today we spend $2 trillion on managing chronic conditions, $2 trillion. That's, you know, a big part of our, our CDP. And we are not healing anyone. We are keeping people off from the ER at best. We are keeping people living their life maybe a decade or two in this condition of pseudo life where they can never run the stairs. They can never go, you know, do exercise properly. They've been medicated every day. There's something better that can be done. And I think, you know, everybody know today that the diet and the right nutrition can heal you fairly quickly. And the evidence is already there. And thirdly, uh, last decade, I, I have been spending, you know, all my, my 401k money and my, my loose money into investing in startups. Uh, with my wife, we have invested in 42 companies today. Most of them are working in a, in a space of nutrition and, and quantifying our body in a meaningful way and turning it into value adding codes and guidance of our health. So I have seen a lot in the last decade. And I finally believe that by, by taking the data about your body. So if I kind of summarize what Elo is, we are in the beginning of, we are in the very beginning of a long 10 year journey. So I'm looking at the one year at a time. Uh, and I can talk about in a moment what we do today, mm -hmm. but the, the goal is to take the information about your body. So we used to have a paper record about your health record somewhere in a cabinet. Now that is being turned into a stream of information. You can tap any given day. We have all the wearable devices. We talked about Aura already. You have Whoops and Apple Watches. I have a Levels Health. I have a Super Sapiens, a Glucose Monitor. I have here. a Whoop. <laughs> Absolutely. And that information is turning into this rich stream of data that we can learn about. And, you know, you can think about the weight and, you know, blood pressure and all these other things, whole monitoring. So what do we do? We take that data, we use AI, and we supplement that data with your clinical data from your health records and your, your immunizations and also from your lab data. We also do our own lab data and different biomarker collections to supplement. And then we turn that information into tasty molecules that heal you. That's ELO. And it's really ambitious. I mean, and I don't think it has been done before, but we, we really want to be able to give you food at the right time, the right food that can actually keep you healthy or heal you. And we want to do it in a way that you don't need to think about any type of diet. Diet is an artificial limitation because we need that in our brain. We can't comprehend food because it's so, so complicated. So we need to build like say keto or say vegan or whatever. And I've done a lot of those, but what if you don't need to think about diet? You eat good food you love, but you get the food at the right time in the right way. So you're not going to go over the boundaries and you're going to stay healthy. That's what we want to do at Ella. That's awesome. I love it. And uh, how about how Ella Health stands today for people listening? Yeah. So 
Elo Health, you know, is today in a, in a early um, kind of a closed beta mode. We have invited, you know, some hundreds of people to, to, to try the product. We, we today, we take, uh, uh, we take your, your biomarkers. We use blood because we believe blood is uh, the best key today into your health data. We connect with all your wearable devices. We connect with your health data from your health system and so forth, your health record. We turn it with AI today into a plan that we then deliver today in the very beginning with supplements. So we are giving you uh, precision supplements that are made for you and uh, they come in a, in, a, in a pack with your name. And we are now validating this end-to-end -end loop. And, and we are now starting to, every quarter we're gonna start to add more products into it. So in the end, there will probably will be hundreds or if not thousands of products you can buy from the platform. Interesting, so like what, what would these include? Like, so right as of now, you have the supplement packets shipped to the, the consumer. Like what else are you thinking about right now? We want to cover 80% of your calories. Oh, wow. So food, <laughs> essentially, yeah. yeah. And food in many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk about the, the details because we are right now roadmapping it and talking to partners. Right. Um, so I don't know yet what the, what the cadence will look like because some things are, are very hard to do. Like, you know, I mean, one example, which is um, if I'm going to deliver you the grocery basket and turn it into milk, it's technically data perspective. That is a really difficult thing to do. Uh, it will take a lot of time for us to accumulate the knowledge, find the partners, and also do it in every uh, nook and cranny of the country. I mean, you can always do one city, but, you know, it's like, you know, launching DoorDash nationwide. You know, in the beginning, it's like, it's impossible. I mean, nobody can do that. It will take a decade to do. Uh, and we are looking now, like, how can we build this in a way we can be national from the get-go? We have now already uh, customers in most, most states in the country. So, and it's easy with the supplement because we can ship them out easily. They, are, they don't perish right. very quickly. But when we get to food, you really have to be uh, <laughs> thinking about the, the logistics. And I don't want to give yeah. people only pros and stuff. I want to give people organic, healthy um, produce as well. And that is uh, quite difficult. Right, right. But in, in some sense, it kind of has to be in order to be in line with your mission. It, it has to be, yeah. And mm -hmm. we're going to be very, very uh, purist on this. And, and of course, the lucky thing we have is that uh, we don't need to be the first. Maybe we are doing some things now first in this market, but we don't need to be the first. We don't need to be the biggest. Uh, we, we will be who we are, I mean, we have three founders uh, in the company and we all Finns who live in California for the last many years. Uh, I have the same co-founder, Tapio, who was my co-founder at, at Better Doctor, a person we worked with Nokia already years together. So we've been together 15 years, fourth business together. And uh, he's one of my best friends and you know, my, my best you know, bouncing board in the world. And we got another person to, to come in the founding team, uh, Mikko Silvanto. He's at, uh, he, he spent uh, almost a decade at Apple in, in Sony Isles team, building the, some of the products you use every day at Apple. And after that, he spent a stint at Airbnb to build a new business there. And, and he is the person who is maybe the best person in the world to build the apps, build the experience for Elo. That will be, we hope to be the Apple quality product in, in the space of nutrition. And, and there are not many like that, if any, in the world today. So we have the team um, who comes from Finland. And if we are something, we are, we are critty as hell. So Finland, the, the national theme is sisu. It means guts, crit, perseverance. And um, we don't give up. 
and we don't need to be the first, we don't have to be the biggest, but we're going to be slugging on, we're going to spend a decade on this and we're going to make something cool happen. We don't know what it is yet, but you know, and we don't need, from a money perspective, we don't need to really make money on this, we, we, we are fine. So we can, we can take it slow and even, you know, fund ourselves beneath the outcomes. Right. It's awesome. And how many, how many biomarkers are you testing? And like, how'd you go about deciding which biomarkers you would test? Yeah, so I, I have personally been pricked and uh, pooped and uh, everything you can think of. I mean, I've been giving out all my bodily fluids <laughs> hundred times over in the last decade because I've been investing in all of these companies. And I have around me here, I have a, I have a, I have a vessel here. I'm just being in the, in the back every day or whatever. I have a biome here. Uh, there's many, many other products over there. So I'm, I'm testing it myself. And I really hope that we get biomarkers like a microbiome, uh, the urine, the breathalyzers, the spit to a level for saliva, to a level that they can be done at home in a way we can trust them. But uh, no, I'm not pooping anyone's product, but you know, I'm just saying that at the moment, the blood is the only thing that I can trust. And I can have an educated conversation with any doctor and any healthcare system, and they will agree with me. If I go there with microbiome data, they can laugh at me basically. Okay, what I said about healthcare. You have to be the puzzle piece that people understand and can fit. So that's why we started blood first. I don't love the blood collection. I think it sucks today. There's a lot to be improved. Um, and we are limited a bit by innovation because Theranos, it slowed innovation down dramatically in the space. Eight hmm. years, nobody invested money in, in blood collection. In Europe, by the way, they did not stop. And there are some really good partners coming in live in Europe. Uh, for example, a company called Nightingale going public uh, in the next couple of weeks. They do 200 biomarkers from one vial of blood. Oh, wow. 200 at yeah. the price point as second to none today. So th this is happening now. Uh, what do we collect today? We prick a finger. We are collecting about, you know, 300 microliters of blood at home testing like six drops. And we can do something like 40 different tests. Uh, in the beginning, when you sign up LO, we do the more medical tests. We do lipid panel, we do A1C, we look at your, even like PHA today, we look at your testosterone levels, uh, we're looking at your vitamins and minerals. So pretty comprehensive package. And then when we go forward and food, we of course gonna look at your uh, sensitivities. We're gonna look at your specific, you know, minerals and vitamins more. But we wanna start by understanding your health and track ongoingly. The value of having quarterly tracking of your blood is immensely valuable. And I don't know many people who have done that. I mean, I've, I've done it the last decade and I have my data and I believe that data is super valuable in the long term. So that's what, why we do blood and, and where we start from. Okay, interesting. And um, what's powering the, sub, like the supplement recommendations, recommendations on LO Health at the moment? Like what's, what's behind we, all of that? Do, yeah, so we took a stance that, you know, uh, we believe in science and, and I'm a bit of a scientist. My co-founder Tapio, he's a full-on scientist. And, uh, and we said that let's not try to you know, fool ourselves. Let's only do what is today validated by science. So what we did, we basically uh, picked about 80 different compounds that are validated in human trials. We have a, a zero to three. Three means that there's an efficacy like a, like a medication. Zero means that there's no impact. We dropped all the zeros and we have ones, twos, and threes. There are very few threes, only a couple uh, ever um, 
study it as a, as a natural compound that can impact you like medicine. Uh, so we took the ones that we know that they work. And we took all the clinical trials done to humans today, not animal models, but the human trials, and we fed them into the AI. So we spent the last year doing that. And um, I don't know exactly how many, but we have maybe two, 3,000 studies today that are powering the AI. So what okay. we basically do, we take you based on your biometric information from your blood, from your other data we get, and we pluck you into the cohort of a clinical trial. And we see what is the right dosing for you, what is the right compounding for you. Uh, so we, we basically just you know, apply the existing science into your specific case and put you into the cohort. And then we basically do a clinical trial with you from that point onward. We're gonna validate the clinical trial that we based the idea, the, the recipe on, and we see if it worked for you. So we, we just kind of try to take the existing science and start evolving it in the new direction and kind of validate every piece of science we have today and replicate the clinical studies. Right. And for the, for the user, it's ongoing too. So like they might get retested every quarter. We do every quarter. Today every quarter. And, and, yep. Okay. Interesting. And um, so as it stands today, are you integrated with like all of the major wearables out there? Anything that uh, is talking on, on to the Apple Health Kit today, we integrate. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Whoop is a good example that, that doesn't do it. A Fitbit is a great example who doesn't do it. And, you know, Fitbit, of course, owned by Google. So, you know, go figure. Um, right. But, you know, if you have an OR ring, you know, it talks there. Apple Watch, of course. And we are trying to um, have the early user base, people who already have an iPhone, they likely have an Apple Watch. So they already have accumulated a lot of data. And we are helping them to integrate their scale, uh, their blood pressure cuff uh, and different things into the Apple Health to make it more holistic. Because the whole idea is that you already have spent money on buying these devices. Why don't you make them work for you holistically? Right. No. Yeah. I would agree with that for sure. Um, and who, who are your like core customers today? I know it's really early, but like the kind of people that you're looking to target um, right now. Yeah, so I, I believe, you know, and I've I done marketing a long time ago at the, at the Lucky Strike already, and I believe in carving a group of people who will be the super users. And, and today, uh, after talking to a lot of people, thinking about this for a long time, we decided that the early cohort of people we're going to go after are going to be people like you and me, uh, men, you know, in mid-30s to, to late-50s, who are active, who are looking to perform, and who are looking to stay healthy and they're willing to you know spend the time and also the money uh to do it um so think about like cyclists and and you know runners uh people who are out there every day trying to stay healthy yet they don't know what to do with nutrition nutrition is like a black box for many of them so that's what we focus early on and uh, and we have the first you know you know a few hundred people uh, hopping on a platform and uh, the feedback has been really positive because they they feel that you know elo can become a part of their life they are thinking about inviting elo to their life and we call this in a way that you know elo is basically a product that can give you confidence for the next 30 years we don't want to be there for the next week but how can we help you to be confident you know and what is the biggest goal i mean I'm, i think about this every day when i look at my kids when i put them to sleep what i want to do in 20 years time I, mean, I don't I don't I don't need to make more money. I want to be there when my son goes heli skiing first time. I want to be with him. 
I want to go, you know, hike the Pacific Crest Road with that daughter. I mean, th those are the things I want to do when I'm 65, 70 years old. And that's what I live for. I don't live for the tomorrow. So that's what we want to build at ELO. Like this is a long-term companion for you to stay with it. And I think, you know, us men are good audience for that because when we like something, something works for you, you often stick with it. Uh, there are other groups of people, uh, not the name names, but you know, who are testing all kinds of products and they try and they walk away. But I think these men are, are more willing to kind of spend the time with something that they really care about. Interesting. Um, how much does it cost to use Zello? Uh, we, we are kind of having, you know, different uh, uh, testing on the pricing and, and uh, but you know, we are talking about somewhere around $100 a month price point today where you get uh, the testing and the supplements and so forth. So uh, we, we made it fairly affordable. I mean, it is a lot of money, but uh, we do a lot today. So we have, it involves the, the testing, it involves the data aggregation, it involves codes. And so we have, we have a Zoom session, you know, every quarter with, um, with, um, with the dietitian who can help you not only on the, on the supplements, but also on the nutrition as a whole. And then we give you the monthly, you know, regimen that is then made for you every month. So there's a lot of stuff happening, uh, but we want to put the price point low enough that, you know, it doesn't become only for the super wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about price or something like this, where it's all about like one of the best investments you can make is um, being like the healthiest and like best performing individual you can be. So yeah, I think it's just interesting to kind of find out what, what price point that would be at. Cause for many people, it might be the best investment you can make. Yeah. And you think about this in a way that, you know, there are, there's a gamut of people. I mean, some people don't want to spend any money on any type of prevention. That's fine. I mean, that's okay. But we have other group of people like myself and, you know, many others, like, you know, I know a lot of my friends who spend hundred thousand dollars a year for the concierge doctor who does almost the same thing we do at Elo. They test the same blood panel. They talk to you in the same way. <laughs> they <laughs> quote you on the food. And you know, it's 100,000 a year. I'm like, you know, what if we can do the same thing at the thousand price point, a $2,000 price point, and even give you the product. So I, I think there's something here. Um, but of course you want to put the price point low enough in the end when you want to go to mass market. But we are starting small and, and what we do today is fairly complicated. So we couldn't serve a million people today it will be requiring a lot of work and, you know, factories and stuff like that when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to follow, to, to keep updated on, on Ello. Um, awesome. So getting these last handful of questions here, I listened to you say on another podcast, they take at least a week, um, sometimes a month a year of just living like with the basics or very minimalistic. What does that look like? And why did you start doing this? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a really good, uh, good question. So I, when I was studying in, in college and, uh, and my wife had this health scare, um, it kind of hit me that, you know, what if life is like, like you, you rarely learn at age of 20 that, you know, something would happen. And I kind of realized that indirectly. And I started to do stuff that I really like. And I, I wanted to build this sort of Spartan week or month um, and I started it about 20 years ago. And uh, my idea is that, you know, I want to go back to basics. I want to live the minimalistic life. Um, you know, I have read my, uh, my stoic stories, you know, already when I was 15 and I read them every year, uh, like Marcus Aurelius and, and so forth. And I believe in that ethos. And um, 
So what I do, I go in a crazy adventure. Uh, I fast, I meditate, uh, I go to the basics of, you know, raw life. And uh, it, it, it helps to ground myself. And it has become a really important part of myself. And, you know, some people say that I'm tough as nails because of it. I think I'm, 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 I'm a fat, lazy Californian now. <laughs> but, you know, but because I've been living with the sun for the last, you know, 15 years almost. But, you know, the point is that, you know, I think it's something really powerful. And I've been recommending now to a ton of people to try fasting. I don't know if anyone can, everybody can fast a week with water, but there are things like Prolon, fasting-making diet, that is a super powerful way of testing fasting for five days in a very convenient way. And it has a profound impact in your health and your body. And I don't think we used to, I don't think us, the human beings, were made to live life with abundance of eating all the time, never feeling hunger. So when I go on these adventures, I have done like a five-day bike ride, thousand miles, uh, with only keto diet, with only olive oil and butter and water. And <laughs> it makes you think life differently. Sure, it does. <laughs> makes you rethink, yeah, life, <laughs> what you're doing, I'm sure, yeah. You test, test your limits and kind of your willpower too. Yeah, interesting. Um, there are likely going to be a lot of people itching to travel once the veil uh, is lifted on COVID. So Finland, if people want to visit, uh, like what are some must-dos uh, when they visit the country? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the first people <laughs> to go there. I haven't been in Finland for two years, so uh, I really oh, wow. need to go. And my, my kids are, of course, they would love to go see the grandparents and so forth and friends. Um, I love the Finland in summer. It's all green. And uh, I'd recommend people to go to Helsinki. It's a nice city to kind of hang out for a moment. But what is Finland is really, you know, you go there, you rent an Airbnb uh, or a cabin by the lake. Uh, you, you sit there by the lake, you get to a sauna, you dip to the lake and you repeat and rinse and do it until, you know, it's three in the morning and the sun is still up. That, that's kind of the Finland for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is just, it's just unique when, you know, sun doesn't go down at all. And it's just like, not that warm, but you know, it's just beautiful and serene. And, um, and the sauna is the thing I, I'm, uh, I'm a big, you know, sucker of, and I just built a sauna in my backyard here in San Francisco. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to sauna in a few hours. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Just a regular sauna, not an inf infrared sauna? No, a regular sauna, like one of these barrel saunas uh, outdoors. Oh, sure. So it's like right. yeah, old school, like you have to put your towel on or your rope on and you go outside and you go into the sauna. Right. That's awesome. Um, let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation? It can be personally or professionally. Hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> uh, I, I hope my, my, my family and, and kids are healthy and doing well. Uh, from the kind of career perspective, work perspective, I hope we have, uh, we have gotten closer to help uh, the million people I talked about, helping them to heal themselves with, uh, with the ELO precision nutrition. I also hope that I've been able to meet a handful or more of um, young entrepreneurs and I've been able to invest and help them to build the next uh, great companies in the space of food. Uh, if that happens, I, I would be really happy. Awesome. What does your daily routine look like? Um, my, my wife just called uh, me a monk 
uh, last week uh, <laughs> and herself also because you know with the COVID uh, your routine becomes so predictable because you have no FOMO you don't travel I used to travel 100, 150 days a year uh, before so I, I wake up um, 6 45 uh, we haven't used an alarm clock for a decade once so we're pretty good at that uh, I cook breakfast for the kids and, and the family I usually you know do intermittent fasting myself and only eat uh, maybe 10 11 a.m. Um, I do water, mint tea in the morning. Um, four days a week, I, I train in the morning. I go on a bike ride or I go climbing or do, uh, I have a swim at home so I can do training here. I cook lunch after, you know, I work a few hours, uh, maybe pick my son from school, uh, continue to work until 5, 6 p.m. So the afternoon is more like my work time. Mm -hmm. uh, I always do dinner with the family, uh, 6.45 um, Kids go sleep at eight. We never eat after seven p.m. in the family, so we, we we kind of stopped completely. We never have alcohol after seven p.m. So we do a glass of wine, often like lunch or early dinner, because it just impacts the sleep too much. And remember, I've been tracking my sleep for eight years, so I know pretty well. Right. Uh, then after the kids are asleep, I use this. Most days I spend you know maybe three more hours on work or two hours, uh, or then we hang out with my wife and you know watch TV or whatever we do, like listen to book or read something. Uh, 10.30, we put the lights off, and uh, that's the day. Then you rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat, Weekends, yeah. we, weekends we, we adventure. Uh, we are outdoor. If it's not raining, we are outdoor every day, every weekend, um, at least you know, half the day. Uh, mm -hmm. Hiking uh, is our go-to as a family. We, and I, I do surfing a lot and so forth. So, but we are, we are either on a beach or hiking every weekend. So, I mean, it's, it's been... So, I mean, people complain about the COVID, and I feel really horrible for... The economy impact, uh, the health impact for people, and we're trying to help a lot of you know different things I'm, I'm doing today. But for us and the family, I mean, to be fair, it's been a one best year of our life almost. I mean, we were together the whole year. Uh, it was just a bliss. I mean, I never thought about being with the kids that much, and I have loved every moment. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure for many entrepreneurs, probably share your same your same feelings. Who have just used to just travel. The majority of the days of the year and now they're at home with their families and seeing them much more often than they would have um and just really enjoying it so yeah and, and we spend a lot of time thinking like where do we want to live because the the place has been now displaced and i'm a firm believer that for me personally i will never go back to office i have an office at very building in san francisco it's a great place to have but i will never be back in office in my life and it changed completely my outlook of work and life and where do you want to live? And it felt very liberating to say that we're going to be sticking in San Francisco uh, in a medium term at least. Because once you make a decision like that, you feel like, wow, I mean, like a lot of the heavy burden has been taken away. And we thought about Melbourne, Lisbon, um, Tahiti, Costa Rica. <laughs> like, wow. why don't you live like half a year in Tahiti and half a year in Finland? Like, we can do that. There's no problem. Why, why? My wife is an entrepreneur as well. So we could easily do that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you're considering all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So as is the name of the podcast, the Driving Force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? It, it's two things. And, and, and one of them I already uh, said, um, uh, us things, if we are known for anything, it should be the sisu, uh, the crit, the cuts. Uh, we call the ELO uh, early cohort and ELO community. We call it sisu. So we use the same word there. Um, I can be, I can, you know, I can be tough. I, can, I hate to give up. And uh, one of our, our really good friend and early investor, 
uh, at Better Doctor, he named me and, and Tapi, my co-founder, as uh, nuclear cockroaches. Of course, I, I went <laughs> on and I made the T-shirt. I have a T-shirt with the nuclear sign and the cockroach. And uh, I proudly wear that uh, often when I go, you know, talk publicly or whatever. And people always ask like, what is this? Like, that's pretty ugly. It's like a, like a bunk pan. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a matter of singer, but you know, I, I take the compliment. And uh, I, uh, second thing I mean that I really, um, I, I embrace is the fact that uh, there's awe of wonder. I, I get really excited easily. And I hope you, you heard some of my excitement about the ELO because I mean, this is like, you know, I get to do something I wanted to do for 20 years. I'm like, I'm palpable about it. And, uh, but I, I love new stuff. I, I love to build new things and I just love new ideas. I love a great debate. So those are two things that, you know, if you ask any of my friends or family, they say that those two things I'm really good at. Many other things I suck, but you know, those things I'm one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, what just parting words of wisdom or advice would you like to leave the aspiring entrepreneur listening? Yeah, I've been, I've been trying to give good feedback, uh, good words of wisdom to people. And I, I think today what I, I, I'm saying different today than I maybe said a few years ago, but I'm saying people like be open, say yes and do, start doing things. That is the biggest uh, problem we have. We procrastinate, we don't, we hope we want to do, we never do. Let's just do stuff and don't be so afraid. Uh, but at the same time, if you want to build a business or startup, only start it if you're willing to work for it for a decade. If, if you think you, this is exciting enough for you and important enough for you to work for 10 years, it will be hard. Then lean forward, fail, get back up, try again and go. That, that's how it should be. But many people start companies because it's cool. That's not the right reason. The right reason is to have a passion on something. There are a lot of great companies like Elo. We're happy to hire you uh, if you don't <laughs> have the great idea. And you know, you can, you can fulfill the same dream. I'm going to give you all the rights for you to run, you to be the leader. I'm going to be behind the scenes helping you. That's all I do. Uh, so in many companies, you can fulfill that dream without you have to be the, the person with the idea because sometimes you don't have it and it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. That's a great place to end. Ari, thanks again for coming on. <clears throat> thanks again for coming on the show. This is great. Hey, thank you so much. It's wonderful. Um, where can people go to find you online and learn more about um, LO Health? Yeah, we are on, on the web at uh, LO.health. Uh, we hope to buy the com at some day, but it's LO.health today. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, we are, we are not really in social yet too much because we are kind of pretty closed mode. So if you want, you can, you can request for access to the early beta. We are adding, um, adding people every week. And uh, there's a bit of a list already, but, you know, we would love to get all the people on board and, and work with you to help you, to give you the confidence for the next 30 years. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.